Hello and welcome to the Smart Witch Podcast and thank you so much for being here with me. And this is kind of a spontaneous, spur-of-the-moment episode. I don't have any notes or anything like that. It's the morning, which is why I probably sound a little bit more mellow than usual. Typically, I'm really excited when I come on here to talk to you about something. But I was writing the newsletter a couple days ago, and if you're subscribed to my weekly newsletter, then um, you know that the card that I pulled for us collectively for this week is the Five of Swords. And as I was writing about the Five of Swords, I realized that I'm actually really passionate about this card. And it's not a card that I have a ton of personal field experience with, although I certainly have, I certainly have some, but it is a card that I think is under discussed. And it's also a card that's often misunderstood and misrepresented within some of the more mainstream tarot knowledge platforms. So I really thought, as much as I did go in pretty pretty deep and pretty, uh, I think, effectively in the newsletter, for those who are not subscribed or who just want a little bit more of a deep dive, I thought it would be fun to come on and talk to you a little bit about the Five of Swords as a tarot card. And, you know, anytime we do these little, what I call tarot immersions, it's essentially a deep dive where I draw on personal experience with the card. I draw on Um, sort of situations that to me really embody that particular card. I'll sometimes draw on other teachings and other minds that I've just studied over the course of my tarot practice, which is at this point, you know, pretty extensive. So that's sort of what all of this information is grounded in. But I always like to offer the disclaimer that, of course, the tarot is personal. And so you may not agree with everything I say. And of course, I invite you to sort of proceed with an empowered sense of what does and doesn't resonate with you and take what what works for you and feel free to just discard whatever really doesn't resonate or work for you. But I really want to talk first about just the fives generally of the tarot because the fives of, of all the suits really are interesting. The fives pretty much universally of the tarot, with the exception of the major arcana, because then we have the hierophant, which is not really a contractive card, although it can be. Any card can be contractive potentially. But the fives of the elemental suits including the Five of Swords, the Five of Wands, the Five of Cups, and the Five of Pentacles, are all essentially a little bit sticky. And that doesn't, by the way, necessarily mean that they feel innately bad while we're moving through them. We can have an experience that feels essentially peaceful or, you know, maybe just minimal stress when we're moving through these cards. So it really is hard to say. And what I always say too is that, you know, some suits and some cards more than others, but all the tarot cards essentially interact with us differently. And so the five of swords to me, or the fives in general to me, may not necessarily be the same as they are to you. And and beyond that, they're also different every single time we pull them. And so we're going to get into that too, because I think the five of swords in particular can have a lot of different sort of, um, I don't want to say meanings, but it can have a lot of different implications. So the fives of the tarot, though, as a rule, tend to be a little bit challenging. So the five of cups, for example, is kind of like a mini death. The five of cups is an experience of perceived loss. Now, we have to remember, though, that when we're dealing with the cups and swords suits especially, that feelings and even thoughts are not necessarily facts. 
Um, obviously, you know, our thoughts, if left completely, you know, to their, to their own devices can become facts because I do believe that we create our reality with our thoughts. But for the most part, our anxiety, our fear, and our, our emotions, they're real, they're our truth, but they're not necessarily the facts. And so when we're dealing with the cups suit especially, and certainly with the five of cups, where we're experiencing a sensation that we've lost something, that something is, you know, or has been taken from us, that we are, you know, possibly heartbroken, although not necessarily in a romantic sense, we could pull the five of cups to mean any sort of an emotional void that we think we're experiencing that we've specifically though, it's usually an experience of believing that we've lost something we've given up. And, you know, I say perceived because again, that's not necessarily the, the factual truth. In fact, a lot of the time when we pull the five of cups, we've gained something. We just don't see that yet. And and that can, to be fair, be insensitive to tell someone that's going through a really hard time, especially if they're grieving, you know, uh, a lost loved one or possibly the loss of a relationship or, you know, the loss of a job where it's very early and it's still really sticky. So we never want to be assholes as tarot readers and tell people that they're, you know, overlooking the gifts of the experience because sometimes we're just not ready to see them yet. And that's totally fine. But it is just interesting to note that the five of cups isn't necessarily confirming that we've lost something that we're shit out of luck, that we lost this great partner or lost this awesome job. And wow, poor us, as much as it's saying that we are in a, in a control attractive moment where we believe that we have lost something that was really serving us. But at the end of the day, there are usually gems to be mined from the experience. And in fact, you know, nothing can essentially make its way out of our lives that's really meant for us. So that's kind of the wisdom of five of cups, but it can be really sticky to move through. The five of pentacles, in my opinion and experience, is sort of an experience of similar to the five of cups of perceived lack. Now, the difference is that the five of cups, it, to me, usually, is actively an experience of kind of having watched something make its way out of our life, which is very painful. Whereas the five of pentacles, that experience may or may not have taken place. It's more just that there's a tightness around this idea that we don't have something currently that we really do believe that we fundamentally have a right to. Now, often this is something that is root chakra related because that's typically the concern of the pentacle suit, although not always. So a lot of the times we could pull the five of pentacles if we are frustrated about our health or our financial situation or our living situation, but it absolutely doesn't have to be just one of those things. We can also pull it if we really want a partner and that's just not happening. We could pull it if we're really looking for the perfect apartment and we just haven't found it yet. Or anytime, you know, a spell just seems to not be coming to fruition the way that we wanted it to, or we just can't seem to manifest something. Or sometimes, you know, it's not even that we've tried and we can't. In fact, it's not even usually that that way necessarily as much as we kind of cast an eye over our lives in the Five of Pentacles and perhaps realize even for the first time that there's this void, that, that something's missing, that we want. And that's often a painful realization. For example, the moment that you do realize maybe that you want a partner or the moment that you do realize that maybe your bank balance is a little bit lower than what you thought it was or something like that. But these these moments are what Abraham Hicks would call step one moments, meaning that they they provide contrast so that we can develop a, a clearer sense of what we then want. And often five of pentacles is sort of the precursor to a beautiful new beginning, to attraction spell work. And so it's a very healthy place to be, even though it might not necessarily feel amazing.
And then we have the five of wands, which is essentially when our fire burns a little bit too hot. So the, the wands suit to me and for me and in my experience and opinion is sort of just the journey of learning to work with the fire within, which is certainly a journey to say the least. So the five of wands is when either our fire is burning a little too hot or it's otherwise just being a little bit misdirected. And the five of wands, I would say uniquely among the fives, can look really different person to person because we all have such a different relationship to the to our inner fire. And our inner fires all look different. They burn at different temperatures and different, you know, colors, like it's just such a personal thing what the inner flame looks like. We all have an inner fire, certainly. But for some of us, it looks like jealousy. For others, it looks like anger. For others, it looks like, you know, competitiveness when it burns a little bit too hot. And so, you know, it also obviously is different at different times depending on the situation. But a lot of the times, the Five of Wands is an experience of something that's essentially juicy and good within us, something that's fiery, such as passion or the desire to do better or lust is just being channeled in a way that's actually making us feel not super great, as in jealousy, as in, you know, pitting ourselves against other people in a way that's competitive or as in just rage. And what's nice though about the five of wands is that all of those things I just mentioned aren't a problem. They're not particularly desirable qualities in society. We're kind of conditioned to believe that they're a problem, that it's not attractive to be mad. It's not attractive to be jealous. It's not attractive to be competitive, certainly not as a woman. But that being said, you know, the five of wands and all these emotional states are, first of all, temporary, and second of all, hugely creative. The five of wands, in my, in my perspective, is kind of like a mini tower. It actually fundamentally changes the landscape of our lives by fire. So it's a little bit of a cleanse, and it's a little bit of a release, but it fundamentally and permanently changes, not in a way that's as, you know, big picture as the tower, because that's obviously a major arcana, so it's a little bit more macro, but the five of wands is, is sort of a smaller version of the tower in that there is still this element of permanent transformation that happens, and it's often as in the case of all the fives, really, a precursor to something beautiful. And in this case, some sort of a, a new beginning or a reshaping of who we are in a way that essentially serves us and other people. Now, all this to say, the five of swords, in my opinion and perspective, is kind of like a mini devil. So whereas the devil card which I've talked about before on the podcast, and I'll link below to the podcast episode that I did on that. I did it during shadow season this year. I think it was either a September or October episode where I talked about shadow work in general, because that's a term that I think is used a lot, but it's often misunderstood or misused. And I also talked about just how that word really plays with the, with the devil card of the tarot and what the devil card actually I don't want to say what it means, but what it is actually trying to communicate to us, because again, that card is very misunderstood and, and um, misrepresented. So I, I tend to think of the the five of swords as being in relationship to the devil, but again, it's not as it's not as macro. So the devil is an experience of shame, of encountering deep seated shame, and the definition between shame and regret or embarrassment as I understand it. And as it, by the way, this is like a quote, I can't remember who said it, but the difference between the two is that shame is, or regret rather, is 
the belief or the understanding that we've done something that's that's perhaps wrong, whereas shame is the belief that we are something wrong. And so you can kind of see the difference, I think, really effectively in those two statements. So the devil is usually an experience of being invited to look at some part of ourselves that we believe is wrong or bad, that we think or secretly fear, makes us unlovable if people found out that we were secretly like that. And so it's very painful and it can be very difficult. Now, um, and obviously that's an illusion, by the way, like we are completely lovable. There is nothing about us that, that makes us impossible to love. And really, you know, often the devil card as it manifests in our lives in whatever way that is. And that is so unique to all of us. For some of us, it could be addiction to substances. I feel like that's a really common thing that people like to associate with this card, but it can be other things too. It can be um, an inner critic voice that could be your devil. It could be, um, you know, texting like a, a shitty toxic ex or something like that. But I actually was just listening to a really good talk that um, astrologer Colin Bedell did um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking as you know a Capricorn moon about the inner critic voice, and he was saying, and I don't know if this quote is original to him, not this quote because it's not verbatim, but this sentiment is original to him, or if he if he had cited someone else. But what he was saying is that the inner critic is an interesting thing because it it is essentially our self loathing disguised as self love, and that's a lot of the times what the devil is, not the literal devil, but the devil card when we experience it, there's something that's, that's sort of, you know, I think this, the word that Colin specifically uses is that it's like a silver tongued devil because it tells us that it loves us. It tells us that it's going to keep us safe. It tells us that it's going to protect us. So for example, when we have this massive inner critic voice, that's telling us that, you know, we're not lovable, that we are making an asshole out of ourselves. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, whatever you hear when you are feeling down on yourself or feeling self-conscious about an idea or something like that, we feel on some level like we're protecting or loving ourselves by being honest with ourselves and and giving ourselves tough love, but really we're not helping ourselves. We're being very unkind and we probably wouldn't allow anyone else to talk to someone that we love that way. And the same thing is true with substance addiction, right? Like the urge to to drink or use whatever your respective substance could potentially be as an addict would feel like a way to cope, a way to self-soothe, a way to show yourself love, but it's not actually that. It's actually self-loathing. So that's kind of a little bit of the devil card. Now, the five of swords is similar in the sense that it's an experience of believing that we fucked up. Now, it's not quite as sticky because it's not this experience that we get with the devil of secretly fearing that we're just a problem in and of ourselves, that something about us is wrong or bad somehow. But the five of swords can still potentially be pretty painful because it is an experience of believing that we have fucked up and that we've done something that's, that's pretty wrong. It's usually an experience of, it can be shame, but it's usually regret or guilt. And the thing that's really painful about that is that, you know, we, we can't change the past. And so, you know, I was saying in the newsletter, guilt and shame and regret, these are some of the most low, these are 
the lowest vibe emotions that we can possibly feel. It doesn't get any lower than that. And by low vibe, I don't mean negative necessarily, although certainly they're very painful. This is a very painful place to be. But I just mean that this really, this isn't an energy that we can use. Because even sadness, and then certainly anger, which is the highest on the emotional scale of all the quote-unquote unpleasant emotions, provide us with something we can use. They provide this contrast. They provide a sense of, you know, as we see with the the other three cards, essentially, with the uh, five of cups, we get sadness usually in some form or grieving. With the five of pentacles, we get an experience of loss, which often involves some sort of grieving. And then with the five of uh, wands, we get we get usually anger. So these are kind of the other lower vibe, quote unquote, emotions which at least offer us something that we can use, something that we can work with. But the experience of regret, regretting something that we've done or feeling as though we fucked up and just sort of staying in that vibration of, I fucked up, I fucked up. I don't know what to do. I fucked up. That's like, it really doesn't get any lower than that because we we cannot change the past, right? We can't do anything about that. All we can do is recenter and decide how to move forward. And so there's a couple of different ways that the five of swords can sort of appear for us. And the first way, obviously, it depends completely, by the way, obviously on the context in which you pull it. So did you pull it as your morning card for the vibe of the day or for the, your advice of the day? Did you pull it, you know, in a more abstract way where you didn't necessarily have like a clear time frame for it or a clear question even? But if you, if you pulled it as more of a guiding card for the day or for a period of time which hasn't happened yet in more of an advice position, the five of swords is nice because it can sometimes, like for example, I pulled it for this week for the newsletter, and for some of us that probably is actually an invitation to stay really centered this week. And the whole thing is that, you know, if we can catch that before it happens, then that can be really helpful. So that's how the five of swords can actually be a really powerful guide because if it shows up and we're like, okay, that doesn't, nothing's happened recently that I feel like I fucked up, but that could be a heads up that there could be an invitation into, into guilt or regret later. And so what's nice about the five of swords is that we get this sort of beautiful invitation to, to understand that if we find ourselves triggered at some point throughout the day, if we find ourselves upset or in conflict or whatever, and we know that we should probably not respond to other people when we're in a state of self-sabotage or upset or feeling triggered or whatever it is, because that is when we engage in behaviors that we might later regret, right? And by the way, I'm not here, and the, the five of swords is not here to judge your respective behaviors. The whole thing with the five of swords is that we, we've done something that we perceive to be quote unquote bad or wrong. Now that doesn't, it's not the role of the tarot to tell you what is bad or wrong. In fact, that language really doesn't even exist within the reality of the tarot, but it does just want us to know the five of swords that it doesn't want us to put ourselves in a position where we do something that later makes us feel bad about who we are or that we later realize isn't in alignment with the high, highest version of ourselves that we want to be as often as possible. So that's important, I think, to make that distinction. 
But what's nice, as I said, is that with the five of swords, we get this opportunity to say, okay, you know, I'm going to commit and really set the intention to not allow myself to be reactive today. And if I find myself triggered, if I feel those visceral feelings, like I'm hot in the face and I'm, you know, my stomach is turning and I just know that I'm upset and I could potentially say something in the middle of a fight with a loved one that I will regret or make a phone call that I will regret. Or maybe you're feeling emotional that day and you want to reach out to an ex or something. I don't know why I keep using that as an example. But really anything that on some level we know we don't actually mean or want. But again, what's tricky is that it is a silver-tongued devil. And so in the moment when we react from a space that is not clear and not really in alignment with our most radiant selves, it does feel like self-love. It could feel like self-love to reach out to an ex. It could feel like self-love to reach for, you know, a substance that we know we don't have a healthy relationship with. It could feel like self-love to tell off someone that we actually care about and don't want to hurt. And so what's really important is that the five of swords doesn't want you to just never express anger or any sort of unpleasant emotions at all. That's not the point. That's not healthy. But the five of swords just wants you to respond from a space of, of radiance and of being in your power and of integrity and of poise. And I don't mean poise. Maybe that's not the best word. I don't even mean poise as in like together as much as I mean in a way that, as I said, we're not going to regret or feel badly about later. And maybe you do need to tell somebody off, by the way. So that's that's more the point I'm trying to draw here, that, you know, when we pull the five of swords, it's not always like, take the high road, you know, don't say anything, don't confront the person, don't, you know, don't engage. That's not always necessarily the what the card is suggesting, to just sort of take the high road or, you know, lay on your back or retreat from the situation. But what it is saying is to to retreat from the situation temporarily and get your vibration on track. And how do we do that? We simply use our bodies. We use mental practices and disciplines. Do something that feels good. Take Literally take yourself out of the situation physically if possible. Obviously, if it's at work or something like that, maybe you can't physically leave. But if possible, physically remove yourself from the person or situation that's causing the stress or the, you know, the lack of balance within you and do something else. Dance, move your body, take a walk, um, cuddle your, your animal companion, call a friend and talk about it or call a friend and talk about them and listen to their problems for a minute. Take a bubble bath or a shower, um, make yourself some food. There's a million things you can do. You can stretch for two minutes on the floor if you're at work and don't have a lot of time. But if you just do something, take a moment to yourself gather your thoughts, ideally use your body because obviously, you know, as I just said, our emotional experiences and our mental experiences are, are connected to the body. And when we feel upset, when we feel triggered, think about how that feels in your body. It is physical, right? It's visceral. It's not just an emotional or mental process. We feel our face feels hot. We may get sweaty palms. Our stomach may start to literally hurt or feel just unsettled our chest may hurt. Like we all have a different bodily response to just being upset, but it is physical. It is visceral and primal. So we can sort of redirect by, by using the body and then our mind slash emotions sort of catch up and, and we can come back into alignment. And then 
we can respond in a way that we know, maybe it's, as I said, maybe it's the same thing that you would have done anyway. Perhaps it's possible. Maybe, you know, you were going to send a, a firm text or or make a firm phone call, but you wanted to check your vibration first because you knew you were mad. So you took a few minutes and you redirected, but you still feel convicted that that is the right thing to do because someone really needs to hear something from you right now. Maybe that is the right thing. I don't know. But the whole point is that with the five of swords, the invitation is just to get really clear with with where you're at vibrationally so that you can do the right thing. And I just want to stress that this is really not to say that, you know, because especially as, as women, we're often told that we have to be collected, that we shouldn't make a fuss, that we shouldn't have a lot of needs. And sometimes, especially in the world of business, that's not fair and that's not true and that's not right. So sometimes you do have to be assertive. So again, don't think of the, or, you know, I'm inviting you not to think of the five of swords as just like an anti firm card, an anti-self-advocation card, because it's not necessarily. The whole thing is that we just want to make sure that whatever we do, however we, we conduct ourselves, is in a way that we will feel proud of later. And maybe that is being firm. Maybe it is losing our shit for a second. But usually I would I would make the, the reach to say that that's not often or usually the case, but sometimes it could be. And especially, obviously, when we're dealing with like a loved one, someone that we really care for, we don't want to hurt them. Or, you know, when we're considering a decision that could potentially put ourselves or our our health in jeopardy, as in the case of, you know, reaching out to an emotionally unsafe person. So we certainly want to just reel it in and then decide from there. So the five of swords can service as this sort of, you know, heads up that we can decide now to do that and proceed. But the other thing that's nice about the five of swords that sometimes we pull it when it's already happened. And even if it hasn't already happened, I think another dimension to the five of swords that we don't hear about enough, because what I just talked about, we hear about all the time. You know, it basically just tells us how to not fuck up, which is helpful, of course, to, to sort of have that process and to know that that's the right thing to do. But obviously, that is much more easily said than done. And this is what I talked about a lot in the newsletter that I think is a little bit undersaid, which is that at the end of the day, everybody fucks up. Everybody. And if we follow this perfect system of we never respond when we're triggered or we never respond in a way that is not aligned to our best self, well, that would be great. But that's not practical. That's not achievable. And it's, I think, really important to come to terms, especially for those in this particular space. Because in the metaphysical community, we tend, and I think my people especially, because I know that I'm like this and I believe that like attracts like. So I feel like we are a community that really, we hold ourselves to high standards and we expect a lot of ourselves. We like to really walk our talk. We like to use our tools and our practices and all of the knowledge and learning that we've done. And I know for me, you know, if I have an experience of five of swords where I feel like I fucked up, I engaged in a behavior that's just not me, I know I can do better and I'm maybe embarrassed or just feeling ashamed, 
I had a really hard time with that because I, I have, you know, literally invested so much money in classes and I'm so, I'm so invested emotionally in bettering myself every day through all sorts of different practices that it's frustrating if I feel like I revert to an old pattern or do something that I'm just not proud of because I like to be proud of my actions. I like to feel like I, you know, am in, in private who I am in public. I really would like to believe that. And I think that I am for the most part. But obviously, we are all gloriously perfectly imperfect. And that is just human. And even the highest vibing babe who takes every class and taps every day, meditates every day, um, pulls tarot cards every day, goes to yoga class every day, I don't care how energetically together you are, we are all vulnerable to a day that's just an off day. We're all vulnerable to slipping into a low vibe behavior and catching ourselves becoming a little bitchy in our chat with a friend or, um, you know, handling a situation in a way that isn't really us or isn't really dignified or, you know... Any, anything, where later we're like, you know, that wasn't really my best self shit. And these can be big. These can be really public embarrassments. These can be really dramatic. Or they can be really small. They can be really micro, such as, you know, the aforementioned examples where maybe you're talking to a friend and you realize somehow the, the conversations just become a little bit low vibe. And so you, you shift gears. So... And I actually want to talk about that for a minute because when I when I think about Five of Swords, I often think about celebrities and public people because, and, and not just celebrities, but really anyone that's very public. And if you have a, a job or otherwise are situated in such a way that you are a public person, then I feel like the Five of Swords sort of has, a, you have a different relationship to it because when someone that's that's really public makes any sort of a mistake, it's really a different experience. Everyone knows it. There's no privacy. Everyone sees it. And one of the things that I always think about with the Five of Swords is actually Rihanna because I remember a couple years ago, it was a couple years ago at least, and I don't even know, I don't even have Twitter, but I think I heard this story from someone else who was specifically talking about it in this context, not in the context of the Five of Swords necessarily, but just the context of sort of owning yourself and your mistakes, quote unquote. Um, but Rihanna had tweeted like a picture, I think, of her with a friend or something like that and had captioned it, this woman is my spirit animal. And it got a lot of comments that were pointing out that that's kind of insensitive language to use you know, a sacred Native American term to playfully describe your relationship to a person. I wouldn't necessarily say, I mean, it's certainly not not my position to say as a privileged white person, but I don't think that that's a huge offense necessarily. I don't think she meant harm in that moment. I think she was just trying to send a playful tweet, but it, it is insensitive, certainly. So, you know, she responded though to at least a couple of the people and just simply said, you're totally right. It won't happen again, more or less was her response. And that's essentially the wisdom too of the five of wands that there is this really effective way that we as people who are in our full radiance and integrity 
can hold space for the fact that we know we're not perfect. We have that humility. We know that we can potentially fuck up in ways that we maybe didn't mean to at the time. And that's the other thing. I'm talking a lot about centering before we respond, but the five of swords isn't always that we do something that we kind of do know is bad or wrong. And maybe on some level, Rihanna did by, by captioning her picture that way. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that sometimes we do literally make a mistake that is a mistake. We didn't mean to hurt someone's feelings the way that we ended up doing that. Or, you know, we didn't mean for something to happen. We didn't understand that our actions were going to create a particular outcome. That can happen too in Five of Swords. So regardless of what got us there though, the Five of Swords can remind us to sort of hold ourselves accountable in a way that is also not self-loathing and also genuinely apologetic because there are very few times where it's simply too late to make any sort of amends. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that any affected parties by our behavior owe us their forgiveness or owe us an acceptance of our apology or, you know, maybe won't want to create a new boundary with us going forward following a particular behavior that we demonstrated or an action that we did. And that's not really our business. That's not anything that we have control over. But what we do have control over is ourselves. And so we can apologize if we mean it and if it's necessary and we can get right with ourselves and we can we can essentially figure out how to do better and how to move forward. And I really like the way that Rihanna handled that situation because she essentially just addressed it. There wasn't a big long speech. She literally just said, you know, and maybe, you know, obviously if it's a more substantial insensitive thing, then perhaps a speech is necessary. But I really respect that she just basically said, you know, you're right. I I was wrong. This was insensitive and I'm going to do better. And if that's our perspective, then that's a pretty good way to clean up anything that we've done. And the other thing that I want to add is that a lot of times when I read or or listen to interpretations of the Five of Swords, it is a little bit shamey, low-key. And the thing is that the people in our lives, whether it's, you know, intimate people or even just people online, usually want to make kind assumptions about us in the same way, especially if it's someone that that you are involved with in a way that's loving, they want to assume the best and they want to love us. And so, you know, in the same way that we tend to want to love other people in our lives. And again, that doesn't mean that they owe us on, you know, anything at all, really. If we do something that hurts other people, they don't really owe us anything after that. There's this this sort of tone, I think, especially again in the metaphysical community where the perpetrator is owed, you know, this acceptance of, of the apology. And that's not necessarily the case. I think I said that backwards, the, not the perpetrator is owed, but the, the other person, the, I I don't want to say victim, but the person afflicted owes the perpetrator their forgiveness. And, you know, well, I do believe that forgiveness is for us and not others, they, that doesn't mean that, that you know, the, the perpetrator is owed contact or owed a verbal conversation or anything like that. And so, again, that's not to say that the people in our lives owe us anything, but at the end of the day, 
when you think of people you love that are human and maybe make mistakes or aren't always on their best behavior, you don't fault them for that probably. I'm willing to bet that you're loving and you hold them accountable probably and hopefully because in high vibe relationships, that's what we do. We challenge each other to be our best selves. We hold space for each other to be our best selves and lovingly hold each other accountable in ways that don't feel like we're being attacked, but that genuinely just point out the facts. And I think that's what a good person that is in a relationship to us does. But if someone in our lives wants us to be their definition of perfect, and if they're not willing to tolerate us in our full complexity, then in that way, the Five of Swords can be a little bit of a relationship cleanse because that's not really acceptable in my opinion. And I don't think enough people talk about that aspect of the Five of Swords, that it is so beautifully human. Obviously, it depends on the nature of the behavior and the offense, certainly. But for the most part, if we do something that is not in alignment with our highest self, which we literally all do, I don't believe you if you tell me you never have. I just don't. I feel like we all Of course, we challenge ourselves and we always want to do the best we can. And I believe that if you're here right now listening to this podcast, again, I think that like attracts like, and I know that I try every day to be my best self. So I believe that you are also someone that genuinely does their best and is really deliberate about that and really diligent about that. But I don't care how diligent you are. It's going to happen every now and then that you just are cranky or moody or say something bitchy to someone that you care about. And it happens. And in those moments, you know, we certainly owe apologies and we need to clean up our behavior and maybe even make adjustments going forward to not make other people responsible for our, you know, mood at that time, because that's not right. And long-term that is very damaging to a relationship. But I'm saying, I'm talking about a fundamentally healthy person like us who does their best pretty much all the time and has a day or a moment where they slip out of character, they revert to an old destructive behavior. It doesn't really even matter in particular. But what I'm mostly just trying to say here is that, you know, we have to give ourselves grace and compassion when we pull the five of swords. And I think that's not talked about as much. And I also think that there has to be a level of you know, getting okay with ourselves. And certainly maybe we offer apologies, but we can't control whether people forgive us or not. But if they don't in five of swords, if they don't forgive us, if we've done something and people are just mad and they don't want us in their life anymore because of it, then sayonara, because we can't be in relationships where other people expect us to be perfect for them. That's not possible. That's not fair. It's not healthy. And in a loving, healthy relationship, whether it's a friendship, a romance, it doesn't matter the nature of it. In a healthy relationship, there is a container for us to be the full expression of who we are. And that includes the occasional bad day. And if someone really doesn't have time for that, then, you know, that's not really a healthy relationship. So I think that's something that's really important to talk about with the Five of Swords in particular, that it can be this sort of cleanse of a relationship that wasn't really solid anyway. And it can also help us to move forward with relationships that are really strong. And in fact, it will grow those because conflict does create intimacy. It either creates separateness or intimacy, usually one of the two. And so that just all depends on how we choose to handle it. 
And if we choose to handle it in a way that we lovingly hold other people accountable when they're going through a five of swords moment and vice versa, when our loved ones, you know, are willing to sort of not enable us, obviously, I see those relationship dynamics where one person is a brat or one person is, you know, the high maintenance one in the relationship and the other person sees it as their job to always essentially cater to them. And I've been in dynamics. I've been on both ends of of that dynamic. And that's not healthy. We don't want to be with people who enable our bratty behavior, who don't hold us accountable for things that we do that, that hurt them and that weren't fair. But at the same time, you know, we do have to make the loving assumption that the people in our lives are doing their best. And if we don't believe that, if we don't believe that the people in our lives are doing their best, then then that's a bigger problem than they just shouldn't be in our lives at all. And we have to give people in our lives the, the freedom and the space to maybe fuck up. And, you know, that's part of the deal. That's part of that's part of loving people within reason, of course. So yeah, and, and beyond that, we have to give ourselves that permission as well to fuck up and love ourselves anyway. And recenter afterwards, do whatever damage control needs to be done, but essentially get okay with ourselves. And then I think the rest kind of follows from there. So that is my my take on the five of swords. I know this was a little bit of a shorter episode, but I feel like I just really wanted to say this and I hope that it's well-timed. I hope that this is actually healing for you, whether it's something that has happened to you a long time ago or recently. I just hope that this wisdom was really relevant. And that's what's nice about these tarot immersions too, is I feel like they are informative, but they kind of double as a mini reading because I feel like this was our card for this particular week for the collective. And also I feel like when I'm really called to talk about a particular card, usually there is a reason why. So hopefully this was definitely resonating with you. And with that, I'm going to let you go. I do, as always, just want to tell you to please subscribe to my weekly newsletter if you haven't done that already. It's a really fun place to be. I send the newsletter out every Tuesday morning, and I kind of think of it as the witch's guide to her week. I talk about the astrology of the week. I pull a card for us for the week, and we talk about that. I publish my weekly gratitude list, and sometimes I just sort of muse on other things that are going on in my life. Um, But it's pretty fun. It's just the one email a week, so it's not like you're going to get crazy spam or anything like that. It's free. And I will post the link in the description of this episode for you to join if that's interesting to you. And then I also want to encourage you to send me an email with any questions that you might have. I feel like I've really been on a tarot and astrology kick lately, but I'm taking questions on absolutely anything related to tarot, astrology, energy work, energy healing, law of attraction, manifestation, practical magic, all of it. I think you know what we usually talk about here. So you know, I can't obviously guarantee that I will talk about everything on the podcast that I get an email about, but I really do respond to all my emails and I look forward to getting them. So I would love to hear from you if you are a member of this community. Even if you don't have a question, just say hi. Um, I love to get to know you all and I just like to get a sense of what you want to talk about and what you want to hear about because I feel like that's important and I feel like that's, you know, what's going to evolve this podcast, which is now a year old, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that last week when I published an episode. It was my podcast birthday on the Taurus new moon this year. So that's really exciting. So it's officially been a year and I definitely want your help in growing this this, um, container and allowing for these conversations to evolve. 
So anyway, thank you so much for being here and for listening to this, and I hope that your eclipse season is going fantastically well so far. Mercury turns retrograde tomorrow, so I'm hoping that it's a good one, and obviously that's something that we can create and decide. And I love you very much. Thanks again for being here. Have a great day. And I will talk to you again probably before the solar eclipse in Gemini next week. So you'll hear from me soon. But be well until then. And thank you again.